Chapter 2 of Stormy Misty's Foal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Robert Tunick. Stormy Misty's Foal by Marguerite Henry. Chapter 2 A Duck in the Horse Trough. When Misty's stall was mucked out and her manger filled with sweet hay, Paul and Marine burst into the kitchen laughing and out of breath. You say it, Maureen. No, you. Paul shuffled his feet. He glanced sidelong at Grandma. Me and Maureen, uh, uh, I and Maureen, uh, uh, Maureen and I, uh, well, he blurted, we'd like to say some Bible verses with a, a little change to one of them. Grandma almost dropped the cup she was wiping. She spun around, smiling in surprise. There's no call to blush about quoting from the good book, she said. It's a fine thing. Paul swallowed hard. His eyes flew to Maureen's. You say it, he urged. Maureen looked straight at Grandma. Last Sunday in church, she spoke quickly and earnestly. Preacher read, there's a time to sow and a time to reap. Yes, that's what he said, Paul nodded. And then he said, there's a time to cry and a time to laugh, and a time to love, and a time to hate, Maureen added. Paul began shouting like the preacher. There's a time to make war, and a time to make peace. How about that? Grandma's eyes were shinier than her spectacles. You heard every bit of the message, and here I thought you two was doing crossword puzzles all the time. Now then, what's the made-up part? She asked encouragingly. The answer came loud and in unison. There's a time to go to school and a time to stay home. And just when is that? Grandma demanded. When a mare is ready to foal, Paul said with a look of triumph. The kitchen grew very still. Grandma shook out the damp towel and hung it above the stove. To gain thinking time, she put the knives and the forks in the drawer and each teaspoon in the spoon rack. Then... She glanced from one eager face to the other. You two ever see a wild mare both in her youngin'? They both shook their heads. No have I, nor your grandpa neither. She looked far out on the marsh, at the ponies grazing peacefully. Well, the way the mares do it, she said at last, is to go off a day, maybe more, and hide in some lonely spot. And the next time you see her come to the watering trough, there's a frisky youngster dancing alongside. Why, one mare swum clean across the channel to Hamaka Isle to have her baby. And three days later, they came back and joined the herd. Even the little baby swum. But they're wild, Grandma, Paul said. Misty's different. She lived with people since she was a tiny foal. Grandma took an old cork and a can of powder and began scouring the stains on her carving knives. She nodded slowly. And Misty Smart, if she needs help, she'll come up here to the fence and let us know right smart quick. Same as she does when she's thirsty. Now you both wash up a change of clothes. You touched off the wrong fuse when you quoted Bible verse to get excused from school. But Grandma, Paul persisted. How can Missy tell anyone she needs help when Grandpa's in town shucking oysters and we're trapped in school and... Grandma didn't answer. 
But somehow, she interrupted. She handed Maureen a pitcher of milk and a sauce dish. As if by magic, wait a minute, a big tiger-striped cat appeared from under the stove and began lapping the milk even before Maureen finished pouring it. Tell you what, Grandma said after a moment's thought, I promise to get out every hour and look in on Misty. You will? That I will. And you'll telephone school in case she needs us? I'll even promise you that. Cross my heart. Somewhat appeased, Paul and Maureen washed and hurried into their school clothes. When they dashed out of the house, Grandpa was climbing into his truck. Hop in, he said. I'll give you a lift. He put the key in the ignition, and he didn't start the car. A blast of surprise escaped him. Great balls of fire! Look! What is it, Grandpa? He pointed a finger at a big white goose, upended in the watering tub. Just look at him, Walla! Now, he said in awe, I got a sure omen. Of what? Both children asked. Grandpa recited in a whisper, A goose a-washing in a horse trough means tomorrow will be bad off. Who says so? Paul wanted to know. My uncle Ziggiel was a weather predictor, and he said geese in the trough is a foreduner of storm. Grandpa started the car, a troubled look on his face. The day at school seemed never-ending. Maureen answered questions like a robot. She heard her own voice say, Christopher Columbus was one of the first men who believed the world was round, so he went east by sailing west. Very good, Maureen. You may sit down. But Maureen remained standing, staring fixedly at the map over the blackboard. Her mind suddenly went racing across the world and backward in time to a tall, masted ship. Not the one that Columbus sailed, but the one that brought the ponies to Asatigue. And she saw a great wind come up, and she watched it slap the ship onto a reef and crack it open like the shell of an egg. And she saw the ponies spewed into the sea, and she heard them thrashing and screaming and all that wreckage, and one looked just like Misty. I said, the teacher's voice cut through the dream, you may sit down, Maureen. The class tittered as she quickly plopped into her seat. In Paul's room, an oral examination was about to take place. We'll begin alphabetically, Miss Oogle announced. Question number one, she said in her crisp voice. With all books closed, explain to the class which is older, the earth or the sea, and where the first forms of life appeared. We'll begin with Teddy Appleyard. Teddy stood up, pointing to a blood-splotched handkerchief he held to his nose. He was promptly excused. Now then, Paul Beebe, you are next. Dead silence. We'll begin, the teacher raised her voice, with Paul Beebe. And she stretched out his name like a rubber band. And even then, it didn't reach him. He was not there in the little white schoolhouse at all. In his mind, he was back at Pony Ranch, and Misty had broken out of her stall and gone tearing down the marsh. And in his fantasy, he saw the colt being born, and while it was all wet and new, it was sucking slowly, slowly down into the miry bog. There was no sound, no whimper at all, just the wind squeaking through the grasses. Tap, tap! Miss Ogle rapped her pencil sharply on the desk. 
Boys and girls, she said, you have all heard of people suffering from nightmares, but I declare Paul Beebe is having a daymare. The class burst out into noisy laughter, and only then did the mad dream break apart. Back home in Misty's shed, all was warm contentment. There was plenty of hay in the manger, good hay with here and there some sweet bush clover and a block of salt hollowed out from many lickings so that her tongue just fitted. She worked at it now in slow delight, her tongue strokes stopping occasionally as she turned to watch a little brown hen rounding out a nest in a corner of the stall. Fearlessly, the hen let Misty walk around her as if she liked company, and every now and again she made some soft clucking sounds. Out on the marsh, Billy blazed and watch eyes, pretending to be stallions, fought and neighed over the little band of mares. Misty looked out at them for a long time, then went to her manger and slowly began munching her hay. The hen, now satisfied with her nest, fluffed out her feathers and settled herself to lay one tiny brown egg. Contentment closed them in like a soft cocoon. End of chapter 2